On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we take a roadie along the west coast, from Westport to Ross, including the creative delights of Hokitika. Plus, we count down to vivid Sydney. Sydney, one of my favourite places. And we size up the breakfast plates of the world. What are the world's best breakfasts? We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard for a fresh edition of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Mike Yardley with a most unfamiliar voice to you. <laughs> I'm Andrew Seppi. Hello, Michael. Hello, Andrew. It's very good to welcome you aboard to Kiwi Tripsters because um, I suppose we should share with the class here. Yeah. Andrew and I go way back. Way and back. part of that going way back has entailed quite a variety of trips all around the place, including chasing your favourite band of all time all over the place. In fact, when we chased them, we actually went backstage and met them and sort of hung out for a while. So That's that was, right. It was pretty cool. Yes. Yes, so. <laughs> Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters. <laughs> Lovely to be here, Mike. Do you Lovely. Know, do you know what you're going to do with this podcast? Do you know what is required of you? Um, to sound sensible and like I'm well-travelled. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And passionate about travel. I am yes. very passionate, very passionate about travel. Have yes. been all over the world, uh, yes. many places with you, um, some by myself, et cetera. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a good point. What is your favourite city in the world? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, depending on, depending on where. If it's a short trip, if it's just, you know, let's go over for a week or two, I'd have to say Sydney. If I'm going further afield, Europe, Berlin, one of my favourite places ever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, speaking of Sydney, and we are going to talk about Vivid a bit later on, if you want to check out a bit of a retro uh, photo of Andrew Seppi and myself. Uh, we knocked off the Sydney Harbour Bridge climb probably 12, 13 years ago, I think it was. It's more like 20 years ago. Don't age us. Okay, let's get cracking, shall we? We're going to have that photo on our Facebook pages later this week as a throwback Thursday. Yes. Anyway, off we go. All right, let's get going. It's been very pleasing to see self-isolation. Self-isolation consigned to history for vaccinated travellers arriving in New Zealand. So we are mixing things up on Kiwi Tripsters today uh, with a blend of New Zealand trip ideas and we dabble beyond the border as the world opens up to us. But first, uh, let's take a trip along the west coast. And Mike, the northern west coast has quite it was quite a busy summer. Yeah, it has been a really bumper summer for the northern west coast in Buller. Um, and for some reason, they just continue to buck the general downturn when it comes to tourism, uh, which has blighted so many regions like Glacier Country further down the coast. Um, obviously, there have been uh, quite a few uh, uh, dramatic weather events around Westport in recent weeks and months. But even despite that, a lot of people are going to the northern west coast, and I reckon it's because of the cycle trails and also family history, because 
As you would know, Andrew, along um, the northern part of the West Coast, you've got those mining hotspots like Deniston and Charleston. Mm. And so many people have family links to those mining hotspots. So they like to check out, you know, where did great uncle Fred used to mine his coal or his gold? My cousin is actually a potter. Right. As in makes pottery and mm-hmm. um, art in, in Westport. So, yes. And yeah. the Deniston Dog is actually a, a, a pub named after a mining yes. town. He loves that. Anyway, go on. There you go. Um, um, but, I mean, it, just as an example of how popular it's been over summer there, I stayed at Buller Bridge Motels in Westport, right? This was in January. And the motelier said to me, without a word of a lie, even though there has been a sequence of floods affecting parts of town in the past six months, since July last year, they have been full house every single night. Not surprising. It is a fantastic place to visit. Now, I've known you for quite a long time, and, you know, you're a friend to many. Yes. Uh, except you're not particularly well-liked by a whole bunch of surfers right now. <laughs> it's probably because of Tauranga Bay. I absolutely adore Tauranga Bay. So this is just south of Westport. And every time I mention Tauranga Bay, um, whether it be on a podcast or on the radio or on a newspaper article, surfies get really pissy because they think this is New Zealand's best-kept surfing secret, and I'm wrecking it for them. You are. And they would rather it be kept secret. Um, But it is an absolutely stunning bay, Tauranga Bay, this big sweeping crescent of golden sand. Obviously, the surf is just thumping. And it's also the entry point to the Cape Felwind seal colony. So this is a 15-minute walk from Tauranga Bay up the headland, which is spectacular, to reach Seal City uh, on those wave-battered rocks below you. And just before the main colony of seals, there is this, like, satellite town, um, a rocky outcrop offshore called Wall Island. Um, And Doc has put some very thoughtfully mounted, free-to-use binoculars there, so you can zoom in on the island frolics, Andrew. So, okay, just if you're listening to this and planning a romantic sojourn yourself, just remember those binoculars are there. Moving on, <laughs> how, how long? How long is the full circuit around the Cape? Well, if you go from Tauranga Bay to the Cape Felwind car park, which is the northern entrance to the walk, it's about ninety minutes. So you'll probably want to have someone to pick you up at the other end, unless you want to, you know, walk there and back. But it is a true Cape walk, and you do actually feel like you're walking on the edge of the earth um, as you uh, stroll by those granite bluffs, and you just have the most killer views of the coastline. So much history. Of course, it's where Tasman first dropped anchorage in New Zealand. Cook hated the place, (laughs) or, or at least the weather, hence its name, which he gave, Cape Felwind. And fun fact of the day, Cape Felwind is New Zealand's closest point to Australia. Oh, how cool. Hmm. Now, cycling trails and tracks have have exploded nationwide, but certainly are continuing to open up on the coast. Absolutely. Um, And courtesy of the Provincial Growth Fund, the latest instalment is the Kawateri Coastal Trail, which is good to go whether you are walking it or biking it. It's a 50k, uh, sorry, 55k heritage trail, uh, which laces up Westport to Charleston, and you go via Carter's Beach, Cape Felwind, and Tauranga Bay. Uh, in fact, speaking of laces, history nugget of the day, 
the very first Hannah's Shoes store <laughs> opened in Charleston uh, because they were selling boots to the gold miners back in the day. But the beauty of this trail, the Kawateri Trail, is that you can ride it or hike it in either direction or just do a chunk of it because it's sort of bundled into nine sections across the network. Wow. Okay, ETA, when is the full trail set to be finished? They hope to get it done later this year, but the last progress report I saw was it won't be fully completed until early next year. But the good thing is the first four sections between Westport and Tauranga Bay are already done, and the other sections will just progressively open up uh, over the next 10 months or so, all the way to Charleston. They've actually just completed this brand new suspension bridge over the Nile River at Joyce Bay, which looks superb. And by the way, at the Westport trailhead, there's also the Kawateri River Trail, which is like a wee taster of the Kawateri Coastal Trail. And this was actually put together by hundreds of volunteers in Westport. Um, and it's a dual-use trail incorporating beautiful remnant native bosch wetlands and very cool views of the old walls of Westport on the edge of the Buller River. As the name suggests, it basically just uh, edges along uh, the river uh, in Westport. It's a really uh, joy to explore this trail. It's a beautiful part of the country, and yeah. I must say, one of the most beautiful places in the country is Punakaiki, which is just a short hop to the south. Right? Absolutely. And once again, this place has been cranking over some of the crowds were tucking into the pancakes and the cream uh, <laughs> across the road from the pancake rocks when I was there, Andrew. Uh, there is one walk not to be missed. I mean, obviously you want to do the walk uh, out to Punakaiki and look at the blowholes and all those kind of cool things, but there's a little walk just about five minutes down the road on the main highway called Truman Track, and it's a banger of a bushwalk. I reckon this is sort of like the West Coast uh, distilled um, because the walk takes you from the highway through subtropical jungle uh, of Nico palms and rata vines and potocarps, and then suddenly you sort of spill out from the jungle onto this climatic viewing platform raised above the ocean as the rollers collide with the rocks. It's got all the elements. That is fantastic. Okay, in part two, we're going to take a little trip to Hokitika back soon. We're heading further down the coast. Hokitika is a great base camp for autumn road tripping in Westland. You'd be hard-pressed to find... A comparably sized town, I reckon, in New Zealand that has more galleries, more studios and arty types. Mm -hmm. Andrew, I know you are very familiar with Hokitika. Mm -hmm. It's such a creative powerhouse of a place, isn't it? It is. It's fantastic. So you've got, obviously, all of the Punamu carvers. You've got glass blowing. I love that glass blowing studio. And it's actually the Wilson family who run that. They've been running it for over 30 years. So if you are in town and you're thinking, oh, I need to get, you know, something for Auntie Flo for looking after the cat. Um, they have got so many tailor-made gifts really in that glass blowing studio. I, actually, just a little personal thing. There was a glass blowing exhibition in Rickerton Mall around about late 70s and I remember standing there as a kid being fascinated by it. Anyway, what about the Wilderness Gallery? <laughs> well, I reckon this would be my favourite arty space in Hokitika, spanning the full range of local arts. It's the sort of place you walk into and you think, Mm. I need to buy something, at least something. I know um, that feeling. Yeah. Like, I've got to find something to... to just, yeah. Yeah. It is a really addictive sort of gallery. Um, if you like a landscape photography, the Wilderness Gallery is where you will find 
so many um, magnificent works by Jürgen Schark. He is kind of like New Zealand's Ansel Adams uh, in terms of landscape photography. Just north of town, by the way, uh, by the Kamara Junction Highway, Stone Mats Hokitika. If you've ever been to someone's place and you've seen those mats outside oh. their door with that sort of grey, wacky... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where these hail from. This is the original, the iconic West Coast stone mats. Uh, so whether you're after a doormat or a table mat, um, it makes for a very use, usable memento of your time on the coast. And living on site, these guys, they actually collect the beach stone from Hokitika and then weave their wizardly magic into the creation of these stone mats. Okay, and speaking of quite bespoke or quite unique art, yeah. driftwood art, is there much on the beach? Oh my God, it's just amazing. It just keeps evolving. So normally towards the end of January, they hold their annual sculpture festival, which is where the real pros come out. And they just create the most remarkable constructions out of driftwood. It's all very whimsical and organic, you know, yeah. in terms of the creations. Most of them actually last on the beach through the year. Oh, well, so, well, well, they're driftwood. They've been drifting at sea for, forever. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to fall apart after a week. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So it's sort of like an open-air gallery. So the thing to do is you'll see the Lifeboat Cafe just on the shoreline, right? Grab a coffee from the Lifeboat Cafe and take a stroll along the beach and check out the amazing driftwood. What about the historic key? Yeah, well, if you um, want to get a dip into the history of Hokitika, I really think you should go and check out Gibson Key. They've actually got a fantastic fish and chip shop there called Dulcie's Takeaways, hmm. which the locals just rave about. So while you're waiting for your fish and chips to be cooked, take a walk along Gibson Quay and they've got these really cool interpretation panels all along the quay which very much chronicle the glory days of Hokitika's trading bustle. So going back to say the 1860s, this was actually New Zealand's busiest port in terms of shipping movements. They had 102 hotels in town Wow! Uh, to keep people lubricated. <laughs> but there are some really cool photos um, along the quay of like 40 massive sailing ships all tied up at the wharf in Hokitika. Um, and that river bar entrance, by the way, that you mm -hmm. can still see when you're looking out over the water, that has claimed the loss of 30 ships. So a very gnarly entry point into Hokitika back in the day. I won't be selling my ship in there. Back to that fish and chip shop, though. Here's a great travel tip. Um, look for somewhere busy because if the locals are avoiding it, so should you. That is very true. <laughs> Heading south of Hokitika, Ross is an absolute charmer. It is, eh? It's such a cute-as-a-button settlement with so much gold mining history. Um, I do love the pub there, the 156-year-old Empire Hotel. It was given a paint job a couple of years ago, so it's looking resplendent. It must be, Every town must have an Empire Hotel somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like yeah. every town has a Bella Vista Motel, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. <laughs> Go on. But um, if you want to have some good old West Coast white bait, the Empire Hotel is where to go. It was in Ross by the way, that the largest gold nugget in New Zealand was found, the Honourable Roddy Nugget. It was as big as a man's fist and mm. it weighed 99 ounces. It was purchased by our government and it was actually presented to King George V as a coronation gift. So, just asking for a friend, yes. uh, what happened to it? Well, this is all rather embarrassing because mm -hmm. there was actually an inquiry made in 1950 about the whereabouts of the nugget. <laughs> Where's my nugget? <laughs> yeah, gifted to the royal family. Um, and apparently the nugget was melted down <laughs> to gild <laughs> a royal tea service and 
even worse, the tea service has now gone missing. So um, not good luck with the Honourable Roddy Nugget. But if you do want to try your hand at gold panning at Ross, you can. And the locals say that beneath the township, there is so much gold that's never been mined. Back in the 90s, a crown geologist estimated... I remember this, yeah. ...the gold deposits underneath Ross are around sort of $700 million worth yeah, of yeah. gold. I bet they're all now sitting in the shed of a guy called Trevor on the West Coast. Probably. Uh, now, the treetop walk <laughs> is a must. Yeah, absolutely. Very close by. Um, the treetop walk, uh, a series of elevated steel walkways. It takes you into the Potakap Forest by Lake Mahina Pua. You're about 25 metres above the forest floor, so you get a really good insight into all of the specimens that grow in these parts, you know, your tree ferns and your orchids and your liverworts, all sorts of forest floor residents. Um, and they've got this fantastic uh, tower, the spiral staircase, the Hokitika Tower, they call it, which gives you the most amazing views of not just the forest and the lake, but the mountains of Westland. Oh, now that is a fantastic lake. It's so mm. beautiful. It's really serene, eh? Um, I was going to use the word serene. You stole you? it. Go on. Okay, really scenic. <laughs> <laughs> lake Mahina Pua. So Lake Canary is probably more well-known mm. on the West Coast, but I reckon Mahina Pua is just as beautiful. It's just not as trafficked. You won't be uh, competing for, for grass space as such, and they've got a fantastic grassed reserve, which they call Shanghai Bay on the side of the lake, right? And something really cool to check out if you are there, the salvaged paddle steamer, which was plucked out of its muddy grave and put on display by the lake, um, it was actually scuttled back in the 1960s, but go back a century before that, and these paddle steamers were being used on Lake Mahina Pua to transport goods and people between Ross and Hokitika before the railway opened. You can still actually kayak about 9k through the forest and the swampland from Lake Mahinapua to reach Hokitika. How did you get to Hokitika? I kayaked, of course. So, yeah, really cool lake. <laughs> Our own little Mississippi. Uh, coming up, we, we tripped the light fantastic in one of my favourite places, Sydney, and we discuss the world's best breakfasts. You're with Kiwi Tripsters as we start to plan overseas travel again, yes. finally. And it's a given that for many Kiwis, heading back over the Tasman will be first on the list. Totally. And if you're looking to time a visit to Oz with a truly great festival, oh, yes, I reckon you would struggle to find a better, more successful festival than Vivid in Sydney yeah. because it is just so exuberant. It's just... Spectacle Plus, transforming the cityscape in very extravagant fashion. On a normal day, Sydney anyway lends itself to extravagance. Yeah. So give it a festival and it's like it's on steroids. Yeah. So after a two-year hiatus, Vivid Sydney will have its 12th outing this year. It runs for 23 days and nights, kicking off on May 27. Absolutely. Yep, the clock is ticking. May 27, opening day. So this is a world-renowned festival. If you aren't familiar with Vivid, it's all about light, music and ideas. They sort of have deep dive TEDx style discussions, but to be honest, that's all a bit earnest. <laughs> People go for the lights. That's all they care about. Show me your lights. Um, mesmerising art displays, the most ginormous light projections. It is seriously trippy, escapist stuff. It's like Sydney is a dreamland, really. It is, it is. Now, the countdown is certainly on to Vivid 2022. 
two. In fact, it's a bit like the Olympics. There's some countdown clocks ticking away to May 27 outside the Queen Victoria building, Circular Quay, which yeah. I love. And yeah. the, the Aussies know how to count down to something. Well, I think the reason Sydney is so excited about it um, ticking down to May 27 is it does mark a real turning point in the pandemic. I mean, obviously mm. they've had, you know, so many months locked down in the last couple of years. So it does feel like we are truly moving on. Um, the other thing which is really interesting about Vivid is that it goes just, you know, way beyond the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge being lit up. You've got the Sydney CBD, you've got Circular Quay, you've got the Rocks, Barangaroo, Darling Harbour, Central Station. They're all going to be lit up. Um, and then you've got um, particular buildings that always stage the most spectacular projections like the MCA and Customs House. And for the first time in Vivid's history... This year, they are going to have this light walk, which will run continuously for 8K from Sydney Opera House to Central Station, and it's going to be waymarked by a flock of 200 mm. neon-lit sculptures of Sydney bird species. So we're talking, you know, your kookaburra and your rainbow lorikeet. So they will be your way markers between the Opera House and Central Station. I feel a, I feel a trip for a podcast in situ <laughs> coming, coming on to... I love that. I love that city. Okay, let's look at some of the star features of this year's festival. It's the light installations that are always the big crowd favourites. Yeah, absolutely. And at Customs House this year, they are going to play host to a projection or an installation called For Sydney With Love. Now, this is basically a love letter to Sydney by one of the city's most famous artists, Ken Doan. I'm sure if you've been in Sydney previously, perhaps you've been into like, say, souvenir stores or down the rocks, you've probably come across the name Ken Doan. Mm. So he is this um, painter who... Uh, uses very bright colours to illustrate what he loves about Sydney, whether it's the harbour, particular landmarks. So what you're saying is he condones bright... Don't worry. Come on. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Been there, doned that, got the T-shirt with the Ken Doan design. Right. Anyway, so... He's in his 80s now, right? And Customs House will just have this rolling series of projections uh, of all of Ken Doan's greatest works, very much a tribute to the city, its icons, and the harbour. So that should be really cool. Yeah, and, and in all seriousness, Ken Doan is a fantastic artist. If you can check this out, even if you've got to do it online, do it. Uh, so what about the Earth Deities at one of my favourite places in Sydney, The Rocks? Yeah, this sounds um, very... Hindu, actually. Mm. Uh, one of Australia's hottest artists, apparently, is this guy called Ramesh Mario Nithyendran, and he specialises in large-scale sculptural forms fabricated from earth and steel and paint, right? In the rocks, his creation for a Vivid is going to be this massive, gigantic, multi-limbed avatar with animated fire and electricity. Apparently, it's all about spectacle, ritual, and gathering, which is why I think it sounds very Hindu. That is exceptionally Hindu. I can hmm. see a Kali or a... Anyway, um, ah. wow, we've got to be there. A, yeah. A podcast there. Another head turner is likely to be found in the disused Goods Line Railway Tunnel at Central Station. And it's no secret that I love rail. I rail travel wherever I go, wherever yes. I can. I love the rail in Sydney. And a fully immersive light and sound installation called Convergence will transform the space with the largest scale laser installation ever seen in Sydney. And that's yeah, something. Absolutely. So, yeah, once you've done that light walk, 
from the Opera House down to Central Station. This is what will be waiting for you at the Goods Line Railway Tunnel. Um, it hasn't been used, this tunnel, for 40 years. It's been in complete darkness wow. for four decades. So now it's going to have this incredible laser show lighting it up. So that's just a wee taster yeah, we... of what is in store for Vivid this year. I think Andrew Seppi has come across <laughs> a very wise idea. Kiwi Trips is on location live from Vivid. Um, oh. But obviously there are going to be dozens and dozens of massive installations uh, lighting up the festival. They are going to be released releasing the full program, and they're free. This is all free to see in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, the full program will be out um, in the next week or so. I, I just want to say about Sydney, uh, I was there for the new year from 89 to 90 when they wrapped up the 80s decade in Sydney with the entire fireworks light show. We've been there for a new year too. Sydney knows how to put on a party. <laughs> we can't wait. Uh, coming up soon, we look at the world's best breakfast. Back at a tick. This is Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Andrew Seppi. And finally on this edition, Mike, uh, and I have to agree, thinks breakfast is the big best meal of the day. And we have, when travelling together, have we have searched, we've walked cities to find decent breakfast and we've assembled a hit list of the world's best breakfasts. Absolutely. It's a very subjective list, I hasten to add, but these are the breakfasts that I reckon sing loud about the sense of place and the joy of international travel. Fantastic culinary delights from all around the world to sink your teeth into at breakfast time. Originating in Greece, uh, the traditional pancakes or crepes. Yes. So whether you call them pancakes or crepes, I'm sure we can all agree this is a favourite foodie delight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even got a dedicated day, which has just passed us. Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Day, the last opportunity that people could gorge on food before Lent, if you are so inclined. Uh, but these fluffy flat cakes are actually ancient. It's believed they were first eaten in ancient Greece, then the ancient Romans embraced them. Ultra-thin version of pancakes, of course, being crepes. Uh, They originate from Brittany in France in the 1300s. And of course, in Belgium, their equivalent flat cake uh, contribution to the world's breakfast table would have to be the waffle. Mm. Okay, if we're speaking about traditional, we've got to go to the UK, United Kingdom, a good old breakfast fryer. Oh, the old faithful. And I think New Zealand is pretty much uh, embraced you know, the New Zealand version of the fry-up, haven't we? We, we do it. Yes. Um, but I think you can't really beat the original. And a full English is always the answer in the UK. Uh, across the sea, it's the full Irish. And you can rely on the fact that there will be one of these on a breakfast menu in virtually every single British and Irish eatery. <laughs> the full English or the full Irish. So whether you like your fancy pants fry-up with avocado and roasted tomatoes or you just are in the mood for a good old greasy spoon special, I think it is an absolute breakfast mainstay. Black pudding, of course, Mm. um, is a bit of a polarizer. So the Brits love the black pudding. It's not for everyone. I think the Americans refer to it as blood sausage, don't they? Yeah. Um, So it's either beef or pork, blood sausage with oatmeal or barley. I actually think it does add a wee bit of a twist to your fry up. I do like it. Um, so many people would say croissant in a French accent. And yes. it's one of those things that you think about a guy with a beret and a blue and white striped top. And But they're not from France. They're, Who knew? No. Yeah. Who knew? Okay, there you now, go. So. I'm sure there will be some uh, Frenchies listening to us who will be 
taking this as a personal war of declaration against them. But contrary to popular belief, this iconic staple of the French breakfast, the croissant, is not actually French. You have been betrayed, you have been lied to for a very long time. (laughs) So these delicious buttery pastries originate from Vienna and they were created in celebration of the Habsburgs defeating the Ottomans and the crescent shape of the croissant is a throwback to the shape of the Ottoman flag, mm. the crescent. Um, and Austrians still call these pastries kipfels, not croissants. Uh, apparently, they first found favour in France in the 1830s. So whether you like to enjoy yours with a side of jam or stuffed with ham and cheese, these soft heavenly layer, layers make for a tasty breakfast alongside a creamy cafe au lait. Although I, did, I must say that um, I did, I was eating a croissant on the train when I crossed the border into France. It was like a cliche. But when I was in Thailand, in a country I loved visiting, yes, soup for breakfast. I know. Um, soup is not probably a breakfast staple in many countries, but those rules absolutely go out of the window in Thailand. The ladle comes out at breakfast. Known in the country as Khao Tom. Thai breakfast soup is a rice soup if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and it has lemongrass in it and it's topped with chicken or pork or egg. It actually is comfort food, I reckon. You could have it all day long. It's like the all-day Thai breakfast. So <laughs> you might have a shocking hangover in Phuket um, <laughs> topped with a stunning view from Thailand's rocky islands. What could be better than Kotong? Okay. Shakshuka. I love the name. Shakshuka. Um, yeah. It's from North Africa. Yes, Now, I've only had this once. I actually had it in Morocco, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But apparently it is very, very common across a range of North African countries. And I would imagine each country says, well, we had it first, but like the Austrians and the French and the croissant. But anyway, um, this is gaining popularity, shakshuka, in trendy cafes in the West. So you may have come across it at your local trendy cafe. So shakshuka is a delicious egg and tomato-based breakfast. Uh, The eggs are poached in a stew of tomato juices, red bell peppers, feta, garlic, and all sorts of spices. Uh, Paprika, hot chilli pepper paste, harissa, you name it. So it is the sort of breakfast which I love because it does fill you up for the day. Um, also a really good option for brunch. Nice. Um, okay, so weird story. I was walking across the pedestrian crossing, the famous pedestrian crossing outside Abbey Road Studios. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, the famous Beatles Abbey Road album cover. I was walking with a guy from New York. And we were chatting and I said to him, does everyone in New York like bagels? And he went, yes. Yes, absolutely. It's the Pope of Catholic. I know. Yes. So it's up there with the Statue of Liberty and the Empire State Building, New York, and bagels. Uh, The bagel, the breakfast, it's an icon stuffed with all manner of fillings from cream cheese and salmon to bacon and egg. I think, yes, it would be fair to say true New Yorkers start their day with uh, a stop at the bagel shop or at a street van. (laughs) Can you even say you've been to the Big Apple if you have not eaten a bagel? I think not. No, you can't. So your favourite exotic breakfast, your... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mike Yardley's favourite exotic breakfast comes from Mexico. Yes. Huevos rancheros. Uh, now, that literally translates as... D- what? <laughs> Huevos rancheros. Lovely. Which translates as ranchers' eggs. Oh. Now, this is quintessential Mexico when it comes to breakfast. Um, this dish was actually traditionally eaten by 
your field workers in rural areas as a pre-sunrise snack, uh, and there are many variations of the dish, but the guts of it, beans, tortillas, and eggs. They are like non-negotiables, mm-hmm. um, and you will find huevos rancheros also prepared with chopped tomatoes and coriander, bit of avocado, bit of chilli. It's not actually, if you think about it, that different from shakshuka. No, it's not. North Africa, which is kind of interesting. Well, that'd set you up for the day, wouldn't it? Yeah, it certainly would. And of course, this dish is best served with a view of the Caribbean on the Yucatan Peninsula with a few Mayan temples to your left, but we can't have it all. All right, have we missed a major breakfast favourite out of our list? We we can't cover everything, I'm sure, but if we have, feel free to let us know via our social channels. That's it, it for this edition, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, um, if you want to um, get a better look at the life and times of Andrew Seppi <laughs> oh, no. doing the Sydney Harbour Bridge Climb, what did we reckon 13 years ago? No, it's not. It would have to be... 14. No, it would have to be 17, 18, eight. 19 we, years ago. We, well, if I can be a modern... I don't think we've aged much looking at the photo, but the photo will be on our social channels as a throwback Thursday. (laughs) That is certainly it for this edition. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you aboard, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Be sure to like our Facebook page and our show notes for this episode are available on the website kiwitripsters.co.nz. By the way, our companion articles on the likes of the West Coast and Best Breakfasts and Vivid Sydney, they are all available at fortheloveoftravel.nz. Okay. Uh, would also love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast platform of your choice. It is available everywhere. And if it's, well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and we will catch you again in a fortnight when we delve into the Hurunui. Take care. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.